listening to Kathy Out with myself, Yuta Maharaj. It's been a while since I've last recorded an episode, and no, I've not forgotten about it. Life has been pretty busy for me at the moment, and especially during this very scary and unprecedented times. It's really important to take care of yourself and pace everything to what makes you comfortable and sane, which is exactly what I've been doing. That being said, I'm very excited to speak with today's guest, who is an expertise or just very knowledgeable in all things climate and environmental matters, which I've been pretty committed to and been indulging in alongside of her. She goes by the name of Miranda Baksh. Miranda is an environmental educator at TRCA, in which she has completed her master's in environmental studies and since then has been dedicated and passionate about advocating and creating environmental and climate change within her community. She has accomplished a lot, one being co-founding a climate council, which I'm happily a part of, but we'll go into that later. Welcome, Miranda. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. That made me sound so great. <laughs> well, you are great. Thank you. That's the reason why I have this Aww. podcast, to uplift everybody. <laughs> no. I... <laughs> Thank you. Of course. How are you? I'm good. How's it going? Good. How, how are you doing in this pandemic? I'm over it at this point. Definitely ready to resume back to life and go back on the trails, but oh, making yeah. do. Yeah, you love that because you're like a very nature person, aren't you? Yes, I definitely need trails in my life. <laughs> so has it been like difficult for you to connect with nature or no? Um, luckily, still being able to walk with my dog has been great. And having access to like a pond that's not too far from my house has been awesome. Oh, um, but it's definitely not the same as yeah. if there was no pandemic. So no, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's been difficult. But I think, you know, I think we're doing we're trying our best out here. Um, Mm -hmm, definitely yeah so I mean I I've already introduced you to Silicon Pasity but please feel free to reintroduce yourself and talk about what you do who you are so I can pick your brain yeah for sure so uh as Yuta mentioned um I completed my master's in environmental studies at York University and I also did my undergrad at York University in Environmental Studies, so that really is an ode to how much I love the program. Um, while doing my master's, I was able to connect with such amazing professors who have become mentors now and have been so inspirational in the work that they do, and just their optimistic but go-getter kind of attitude in life to really get things done. Um, so In that program, I was able to kind of create my own curriculum, which was great, and it allowed me to go to different countries. So I went to Costa Rica to learn about eco-health, and um, I decided to go to Belize because at the time I was actually going to do my research on coastal flooding in Guyana. Like I was so passionate about trying to make a change in developing countries, and why not look at such a biodiverse area in South America, um, where my family is from. But Mm. things took a change, which we could talk about if you'd like as well. Um, And I decided to go down looking at conservation and social media. And I focused on Instagram and how that platform is impacting the use of natural parks, um, access for people of color, and environmental education through that platform. So really interesting things that I've discovered through there. And since then... Working on those three chapters has made me realize how passionate I really am about science communication and using that platform with park management. So 
Um, yeah, while being in school, I had two jobs, or three, if you want to consider them all jobs. <laughs> One was tutoring, which I still do, primarily French tutoring. The second was I was a French teacher at a private school, and I did that once a week. Um, that was amazing because I've always wanted to be a teacher since I was a child. So that That's was like amazing. a way to still fulfill that dream. And then the third one is, as you said, an environmental educator with the TRCA, which is the Toronto and Region Conservation Authority. Um, and yeah, so balancing those three jobs while doing my master's has been incredible. And while you're in it, you kind of don't realize how much it is until after. Now I'm reflecting back on it and even saying it out loud. It's like, wow, how did I do that? That was amazing. Yeah. But when you're in it, you're really just taking it one step at a, at a time and um I think having that variety is really what makes the whole journey so successful too, though. So yeah, it's great. Wow, that's amazing. That's You're like multifaceted. I did not know that, but kudos <laughs> to you for killing it. Um, so I guess what I really want to know from the beginning is why environmental studies? Like what made you go down that path in the first place? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, in high school, I definitely did not know what I wanted to do, but I knew what I was passionate about. And I think the environment has always been an underlying theme in things. And I went to an art school in Caledon, and mm -hmm. I was a dancer. So through dance, I wanted to try and maintain that in some way and try to connect it with whatever I wanted to do. At the time, I thought it was science, and I was really torn between art and science. And as I got older, like maybe grade, by grade 12, I realized how much science is an art and how much art is a science, mm -hmm. especially when you consider dance and how the muscles move and things like that. So um, I no longer had that binary view of art versus science, and I wanted to see something in the middle. And environmental studies is just so much that. It really is like a social science where there's so many complexities within that to discover. But um, I would say grade 10, I took an environmental science course, and that was when I realized, yep, this is what I wanted to do. I think I did a project on like herbal essence and looked at the ingredients in it and talked about like the pros and cons of it for the environment and for our health. And uh, yeah, that's just been a theme that I've always loved. And beyond that, just being a child, um, always gardening outside with my mom. Mm -hmm. um, we've always had a garden growing up and I literally grew up at like our family cottage that's I think plays a huge role in a child and like learning how to fish from like when I was three like those little things you don't really realize what they might mean but I think um they've certainly shaped my outlook and my perception and connectedness to nature for sure. Wow I like when you mentioned the binary between or like the non-binary between like art and science that's really beautiful I never saw it that way but that's amazing. That's oh, so cool. Thank you. So you said you studied environmental studies at York right? Yes. So what was your research in, uh, like your specific research? The one that I intended to do was looking at something called EcoDRR, which is Ecosystem-Based Disaster Risk Reduction. Okay. So, of course, you know that my passion is conservation, mm -hmm. but I was looking to see how can we make conservation, how can we tie that into like a human benefit so that the value can be seen so EcoDRR looks at con conserving land to make it more resilient to natural disasters. So I was researching that and looking at how the coast of Guyana can become more resilient to not only protect the people and agriculture, but also the biodiversity that is there. Um, and after 
trying to have some sort of internship down there and things didn't quite work out. I felt really odd, almost like an outsider, just being in Canada writing about Guyana, Mm -hmm. even though it's somewhere that my parents are from, you still have that um, outsider kind of view and it just didn't seem like the best approach to me. So I knew that it's something I would definitely love to dive in later down the road, but it would take years to do like thoroughly, like to interview people there, Mm -hmm. understand the perception of climate change, um, create a plan with eco DRR. There's just so much involved with it. I did speak to people down there who um, are a part of the climate. I think it's a consortium it's called. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I realized how much it truly would take um, to do it thoroughly. So I switched gears and I decided to look at Instagram. Mm-hmm. So what I settled on was three chapters. And the first one looks at the relationship between Instagram and access to parks and also how it changes park management. So there are some parks that have used Instagram as a really interesting tool to kind of see how often people are visiting, what trails they're going on, and that helps them design trails in parks. Um, Yeah. And even taking pictures of like wildlife and hashtagging where you've seen it, they take data from that as well. But we've also, I've also looked into like the harms of um, geotagging, which is when you kind of like say like, Oh, this is a really rare flower. And I found it at this location. Mm. Um, what tends to happen is a lot of people flock to that one area and then it now threatens that species. So I'm not sure if you remembered, but I think it was last year there were um, the poppy fields. I think it's in California where tons of people went there and the entire park had to get shut down. I think two national parks had to get shut down because people were just trampling all over the poppies and uh, taking pictures with them for kind of just doing it for the gram, but then leaving like a huge mess behind. And so I looked at the pros and cons of this access that we now have. Um, There's so much to that that I could talk about, but that's just chapter one. (laughs) And uh, chapter two was looking at uh, science communication. Uh So there are so many science communicators. Like you mentioned, you had a guest on the show, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And how they use Instagram specifically in wildlife conservation to give messages of uh, conservation and nature, the pros and cons of that, but also um, how it's shaping science as a whole and how it's really connecting us and changing our perception of what a scientist is and um, connecting to nature in that way. There's also citizen science that people can participate in, which um, is by like using apps like iNaturalist and things like that and identifying plant species or partaking in different Instagram um, communities, they can actually generate a lot of data that's actually useful. So that was really interesting to talk to them. Um, I spoke to 18 science communicators mm-hmm. are from four different countries and compiled all their responses together to make data. And it was really, really cool to hear what they had to say. Um, and then the last one was looking at environmental education, which I do... On my platform at wildandfree.mb, that is what I looked at, like kind of collecting data on the responses of participants who have followed my uh, page and kind of looking at their engagement. Do they engage more with mammals that are covered in fur versus reptiles? The answer is usually yes, and that's what we find in conservation as well. Um, You know, there's a reason WWF uses a panda as their icon. Um, We tend to just connect more with mammals because we are a mammal. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, But I was also trying to, like, 
get people into insects a bit more because the insect world is so fascinating. Like the things they've evolved (laughs) to. Oh my God. It's just so cool. Okay. My favorite ant is a um, leaf cutter ant and they're just unreal. They are so smart and they just follow each other's pheromones. They cut these little pieces of leaves and they follow each other through like a little trail that they make and they make so much traffic at where they're walking grass doesn't grow anymore so yeah so when I was hiking in Costa Rica you could just see these little trails like micro little trails where grass isn't growing and they go for kilometers and they're really going down to like their nest where they like munch on the leaves and it they start to grow mushrooms that's oh like God. it's a symbiotic yeah it's that crazy so cool. they're like little farmers it's a symbiotic relationship between the ant and the mushroom it's really fascinating but that's just one example like the insect world is just so so fascinating and we see them all the time it's true and we're usually just afraid of them instead of curious about them and i think it's such a detriment to our learning and understanding because they have so much to teach us i 100 um, but yeah yeah that's amazing <laughs> like i i mean it's true that we kind of bypass all these things that are in nature that we take for granted or we never really acknowledge, but everything in our in our climate, our environment, in our, what is it, biodiversity? Is that what you guys call it? Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, our- it, it, all, it all matters and it all uh, contributes to, you know, our living and how we actually, yeah. you know? Um, but that's really amazing. That, uh, but the, what, is, what is the ant call again? A leaf cutter ant, leaf yeah, cutter ant. and that's so true. And that's why I created my Instagram page. Actually, like I have my own personal page, but then I have my nature page, and oh. that just started off with um, me not having enough storage on my phone with all my nature <laughs> photos. <laughs> so I decided to put them out there, and then I realized, you know what, we're getting more and more disconnected from nature, and people are scrolling through on Instagram anyway, so why not just get a little dose of knowledge, like just read through something for 30 seconds, and learn something fascinating that's right in your backyard, whether it be a cattail in a pond, or a dandelion, just the really simple things that we take for granted every day, they have so, they're just so interesting, like dandelions are amazing for you, they're so good for your liver and other things, um, Cattails, like there's a difference between a male and a female cattail, and oh. it's just amazing what they're right. That's, like, and First so Nations used to use cattails for so many things. Um, I like to include a lot of indigenous knowledge in my oh, post exactly. as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's really cool. But yeah, that was the intention of my page at first, and then I re- later realized, okay, why not include this in my research since I'm doing it anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, that's amazing. I could like, sit here for hours and listen to you talk about animals and insects. Like, this is so cool. <laughs> it's so interesting. But oh, awesome. <laughs> one thing that really stood out to me, though, is your the correlation between social media and the environment. I do not know that those two go hand in hand and that, you know, the more someone visits a park, let's say, and they take photos and they have a geotag of where they are, uh, and then pe- people flock to that area, and then it actually damages that, you know, whatever it is, the environment or, or like a plant or whatever. It's so true because um, where I live in Caledon, and I'm sure everyone and anyone has visited the Badlands in Caledon. Oh, yeah. That, I That's grew- a direct response. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember, I grew not grew up, but I remember like years ago, I when that was open and, and, and for the, open for the public, we were allowed to, you know, go and walk on it. And at the time, I guess, like myself and anyone else, 
we didn't really take into consideration of how damaging that can be. We just saw it as like, oh, it's beautiful. It's good for photos and whatnot. And then I guess, I don't know how many years after, but I think a year or two or whatever years after, I noticed um, it was blocked off and, and fenced off. And uh, I, I guess I learned later on that it was to preserve uh, the badlands, which in hindsight, it's such a good, it's, it's really good idea and that it's better for the, the you know, the badlands and for the nature. But now people are, are still, you know, visiting, but they just can't step on it, which I think is a great idea. So when you mentioned that, I immediately thought about that. And I thought that was really fascinating to know. Yeah, that's definitely a, an impact. And I think I did mention it maybe in my paper, but I had the same experience. I remember walking directly on the Badlands and it was a very quiet space. Nobody knew about it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it totally blew up on social media and it has become so such a threat when thousands of people are marching on it. Um, but yeah, that's what's been happening to a lot of national parks who have you know, really small parks, and they really are used to just a few hundred people visiting. Now they're getting hundreds of thousands of people visiting at a time, and they just simply can't keep up. There is no infrastructure in place, like rails to keep people safe, um, whether it be overlooking waterfalls or canyons, and there have been deaths and injuries um, oh. related to those. Um, even right at Scarborough Bluffs, actually, mm -hmm. that has gained a lot of popularity on Instagram. And um, people are looking particularly for this one picture where you're looking over the cliff at Scarborough Bluffs and you can overlook and see the islands. Yeah. However, ironically, that bluff has many signs leading up to it saying do not climb the bluffs. Uh, so it's actually encouraging people to not listen to the park um, management guidelines. So that's another thing that we have to take into consideration. No, that's that's actually really important. And I hope that like whoever listens to this takes that into consideration because it's super important. There's a lot I want to talk about and unpack, but I guess we can get into how we met, why we met, and the council that you have co-founded, because I think that's something that I'm really excited to talk about. Um, so how, how did Miranda and I meet? So I was online on Instagram. It's a great platform to connect with people. <laughs> and I think it was at a time where I just really wanted to get more involved with my community in terms of climate change or environmental impacts and the things that really mattered to me the most. Because um naturally I'm just passionate about um, the environment or the climate and, and sustainable uh, practices and all that good stuff but I felt like I I didn't have a place or a platform to connect with with other peers so I was on Instagram and I think I just I don't know what I, I was researching something and I came across um, the Peel Climate Council I was really fascinated about it I'm like oh this is for for the Peel region or for anyone who lives in Caledon, Brampton, and Mississauga. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I did not know this. And so I actually, prior to speaking with you, I applied to be part of the council because I was just really excited about it. And then that was that. Then I think I followed you or the, the council. And then you reached out to me on Instagram uh, via like DM message. And you seemed like you wanted me to be part of it. Or you just... I guess looked at my page and liked what you saw in terms of um, like my advocacy on climate and sustainable uh, practices and whatnot. And um, I was really taken aback because I'm like, oh, this is amazing. No one's ever approached me about something like that. Or doing yeah, I, I felt really um, 
how do you say like I, I felt complimented about that so it made me really happy oh that's amazing yeah. no I definitely <laughs> saw it and I was so happy when I saw that you were in Peel region on top of that I was like oh my goodness no yeah. way this is so great yeah it was amazing so when you reached out to me we, we chatted about it you had actually asked me uh, if I would want to be a part of the council and I said well, I already applied to it. <laughs> so, and, then, and then it was just naturally from there, we just kind of um, talked and I got interviewed by you. And then a couple of days after I became part of the council, I'm really excited to talk about this. And so, yeah, just to mention that Miranda is one of the co-founders of the council. I think there's about five of you? Or? Five of us, yeah. Oh, perfect. Five of you guys. So what I want to know is how did the Peel Climate Council come about? Yeah, for sure. So while I was doing my thesis, I was wrapping up my research. I was kind of also thinking about, okay, what are the next steps after I do this exam? What do I do next? Uh, I really want to make a difference. I knew that. Um, I realized the amount of time it takes to actually publish a paper, which I'm still in the process of doing. Mm -hmm. And it's quite time consuming. So I was definitely looking for something that would allow me to have an impact on the ground and a bit sooner than academia would. I was browsing through and I have emails from Youth Challenge International, which is an amazing organization. And they emailed me saying that they have a new program called Climate Action Catalysts. And they were searching for 50 youth across the GTHA, which is the GTA plus Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were looking for people who would like to be a climate action catalyst for their region. So I applied. I did an interview. I shared to them what my passions were and what I intend to do. And um, I was selected. So on day one, they had an orientation. And we were put together with all the other Peel uh, people who were selected. And that's the very first time that I met the co-founders. So that was really, you know, less than a year ago that we've yeah. all met for the first time ever. And we didn't know what exactly our project was going to be. We were told that we were to make a climate action project for Peel. What we all had in common was that we wanted to do something that lasted. We didn't want to just do it for the sixth month period of the program. And we wanted it to be something that is really impactful. We had a lot of ideas at first, kind of like uh, environmental stewardship uh, related to litter cleanup or, you know, planting a garden, things like that. But we really felt that that climate element was being lost. So we really want to focus on that. Um, in order to help us out, we had a meeting with the director of energy and climate change at the region of Peel, Christine Tu, and she's amazing. She has since become our mentor. Mm -hmm. But when we first met her, we were talking about what is lacking in Peel region. What gaps can we fill? And we learned that they really wanted to see more youth at councils making, because council makes decisions on everything, on policies from health to the environment um, to, you know, bike lanes. And they wanted to see more, more of a youth presence. And we also saw someone from TAF. Um, I'm forgetting what that stands for, but they mm -hmm. are a climate organization downtown Toronto. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned that there's definitely a lack of a sense of community in Peel. So, and bridging that, you know, addressing all climate issues, it really is community-based. And if you have that lack of community, you have a lower resilience and capacity building to um, 
to thrive throughout mm-hmm. climate change. So just getting to know your neighbors and simple things like that are just so important to survival. I know we don't think of it that way, no, but sure. it really is. Um, when you look at disaster theory and disaster studies and we talk about climate change, community is essential. So we wanted to bridge those two ideas together and we thought, hey, why don't we make a youth council? So at first we were going to do only youth and um, develop this council where we can delegate in council but also work with political leaders to have a policy-based structure and we wanted to see what you know youth were kind of thinking and saying in Peel and at the time it was about September now and the uh, international climate marches were happening Mm -hmm. and we said okay I know everyone in Peel they're all going to have to commute to Toronto and skip school (laughs) you did I was like I don't know how practical that is for everyone it's amazing that you did it (laughs) but I was like what about like the high school kids who are like you know 13 you know even elementary students that can't just go to Toronto is there anything happening in Brampton and I looked it up and I found that there wasn't so we were like let's do this let's organize a climate strike so we kind of took a shot in the dark and we signed up and we set a location and a time and a date put it on some social media outlets and as we were driving through downtown Brampton we see a line of youth holding signs protesting for our climate and we were just all in awe and shocked and so inspired because we were like they're here because we put something out there like we just couldn't believe it and that just really told us that wow so many people care like Brampton Mm -hmm. truly does care youth care and it isn't just a mainstream Thing that's happening only in Toronto like people right here our neighbors they really do want to have a, a voice and so after they marched around for three hours we were protesting and we had amazing speeches it was such a positive experience um, after all of that they even wanted to do a litter cleanup at Gage Park so we did that mm-hmm. um, we had lots of inspirational um, talks and after that we kind of felt like there was no step after. We had this amazing positive energy and didn't know what to do with it. So that kind of reassured us that we need to make this happen. We want this council to be that next step, to bring advocacy one step further from on the streets, but to formalize that passion. Well, that's how it came to be. <laughs> it's amazing. I think it's amazing that you guys all did not know each other prior, but then have come together to create such an amazing community for other individuals to be mm-hmm. part of. And now there's like, how many members are there now? 24. 24. And it started off with just five of you, right? Yeah, it's yeah, crazy. You guys should be really, it's really amazing. Yeah, proud of yourself for doing that. No, thank you. <laughs> I guess I want to, I guess, talk a little bit about what like elements of Peel Climate Council. So I know there's different, um, what do you, what would you call it? Divisions. Divisions, yeah. So what are they? And yes, go into that. <laughs> yeah, so right now, um, I would say like there are, the two big ones would be political advocacy. And that's where we're looking to build municipal region uh, relationships across the region of Peel and um, potentially delegate and just learn from councillors how we can help them 
get some messages across to the community that they probably can't do every day. So we're here definitely to help counselors do that and also just let the public know what amazing work our counselors have been doing. I mean, there's recently been mm-hmm. um, plant seed planting event happening in Brampton and so many other things happening across Peel. So just letting citizens know what is happening in their community is so important. So I, I would say that's one element. And the second is education. Mm-hmm. And through education, we're looking to do some science communication things. Uh, we recently just started our podcast, yes, which is so, so exciting. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about like the relationship between climate change and COVID-19 as our first uh, series. So mm-hmm. that's going to be really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And then... I mean, under that, then there's like community outreach, which we were supposed to be doing so many awesome events, but I'm sure we're going to do it next year after the pandemic. I know, um, I know. But a lot of them would, would have been, like, outdoor events. Yeah, um, I, like, sorry. I realized when we first met, or not met, we actually haven't met in person. That's the funny thing. I haven't met it's so crazy, any I know. of you guys in person. So I just happened to be joining, and uh, a few of others happened to be joining during, you know, the beginning of all this. So we haven't even met, and I guess we haven't been able to do any um, events in person, which obviously does suck and it's hard to do things virtually but you guys are doing an amazing job so far and I'm so excited for next year when we actually are able to be in person and actually you know facilitate the events and whatnot so am I definitely we've been getting positive feedback from it so really excited Mm -hmm. so um I know that you have a Instagram handle called climate changers and actually I just want to backtrack I think I discovered that account before the Peel Climate Council account. After I discovered climate changers, I um, discovered the Peel Climate Council. So what is the climate changers about? Okay, so that's really interesting. So that is how we started with YCI. When we first met, we had to have a team name, so we thought the climate changers. We were the only all-women group. So the little play on the word hers, climate changers, that's how that tied in. Um, But yeah, so that page documents our growth. You can literally see the very first day that we met and we made the account on day one, all the way up until we did the strike, delegated, developed the council. Our entire journey is there. So that is more of a personal growth page, I would Mm -hmm. say. And um, it's definitely out there still. We didn't take it down because we definitely want to inspire other women in sustainability to go after their dreams. And like you said, you don't need to have like friends who are like all in the same boat as you. There are people who have such the same, so much of the same interests that you probably Mm -hmm. don't know. And once you meet and you have that same common goal, it just snowballs. It really does. And it's so powerful. So we definitely have it there um, for inspiration for others. But we are transitioning over to the Peel Climate Council Instagram handle, um, since our focus will now be the council itself. Okay, that's cool to know. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. But it's really cool to know that you've stumbled upon that first. That's actually really yeah, neat. Yeah, I, I realized that. I, I don't know how I did. It's a long, I don't even know. I don't remember what I did two days ago. But <laughs> I just think I just discovered it uh, by typing in uh, like climate change and then uh, Peel Region or something like that. Or I just Googled mm-hmm. it and I found that. And yeah, I just stumbled onto the other pages. But that's good to know. So I guess I have a final question, if you will, or it's just a last segment to talk about, which is pretty, I don't I could have started off with it, but I'm going to end it off with it. Why is climate justice or climate action or climate issues, why is it important to you or just in general? 
The informal answer would be because we're trying to survive out here. <laughs> the formal <Fair> answer. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> the formal answer, and I think it's just like really such a direct response to the most recent IPCC report, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Their annually, they've literally said that we have 11 years left, and that was published oh what, like God. two years ago now. So we have 11 years left to meet our targets. When we say meet our targets, that means just be able to preserve our way of knowing life. And I don't think enough people truly understand what that means. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about climate change, there's always an affiliation with we're saving the planet. We're not. We're Mm -hmm. really saving ourselves. It's about our drinking water. It's about the quality of minerals and vitamins we're getting in our food. It's about the species that are around us and how that impacts our world. And then the global changes that will happen. Um, When there's food scarcity in other countries, when there's water shortages, they will either perish or they will need to flee. And where are they going to flee? Most likely here. And um, climate refugees is a huge thing. And if, you know, we have countries that we've seen, you know, close their borders to um, Syrian refugees If that is a concern, that is only a tenth of the amount of people that are going to become climate refugees. I think there was a stat in an article I read of how small that amount is compared to what the climate refugees we're going to see, and it's just amazing. Um, But on a lighter, more positive (laughs) note, (laughs) just knowing that we can and we still have this time to impact change is so important, and that's where the education really comes in. We just need to educate and connect people and have more compassion towards the natural world in order for them to understand why it matters in their life and why it's keeping us alive and to preserve our our life as we know it really um but yeah it's just it's awesome to know that we especially being in canada we have the finance to do it we have the technology to do it and we have the time and we're at a great elevation if you look at it from a geography perspective as well to take action and not a lot of countries have those privileges so why Mm -hmm. not use the time that we have to allow amazing things happen for others around the world I think I think it's it's so it's not known enough how how great our impact truly can be and it really really can save lives and yeah we can do amazing things I 100% agree with everything you said. There's a lot of things I don't know, and so I'm glad you're putting it out there and it's very informative. The way I see, you know, why climate action is so super super important is because at the end of the day, this earth, this land, everything that we have around us does not belong to us. We are just we happen to inhabit this earth, you know? So, I think in order for us to to survive or thrive in in our environment, we got to take care of it. We can't expect the environment to take care of us. And so I think the impacts we, we make, um, how little it is, uh, it goes a long way. And for me, um, like, I know I remember years ago, the word global warming was everywhere. Like that term was used so much. It was just used a lot and it was kind of misinterpreted or just seen as a negative, <laughs> negative ter- uh, connotation. But um, I guess over the years, it has kind of, intercepted into climate change and climate action and then I really got to understand what exactly it meant and why it's important. I think that the more we are aware and are educated on the actual impacts of 
not just the environment, but our, you know, our carbon footprints and how that actually affects, it's kind of like a circle or a cycle, sorry, it's like a cycle, like everything we do affects the environment. The weather, yeah, it really is so interesting. I'm not able to articulate (laughs) as well as you, but Yes, it affects the weather, it affects our conservation, (laughs) it affects everything. No, definitely. I really like what you said with like, um, how everything is interconnected. That's because yes, our earth and our planet is so resilient, and it's gone through so much. But also the systems that are in place are in such a fragile balance. And yeah, like it just takes small tipping points for everything to kind of change so fast. Um, But another thing that you said was so interesting was the change from the term global warming to climate change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just proof of how much more aware we've become. Uh, When we heard the term global warming, you know, people were saying, oh, it's not warming, I'm cold right now. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like, it's so chilly yesterday, how could the world be warming? So the understanding of global temperatures warming to create smaller changes at a weather-based level wasn't really understood. So I think climate change just is so much more relevant to what it really is, which mm-hmm. is just unpredictable weather and more extreme weather conditions. Exactly. So, yeah. No, it's true. I, that's a good point you made. The way I see it is that I think a lot of individuals, they assume that, like, they rely on the environment, assuming that, oh, it will take care of itself, or like, oh, we have so many years for this to happen, or we won't be able to see it. But that's not the point. The point is that right now, as we are living here, we should take care of it as much as we can, be aware oh, yeah. of our our carbon footprints, of our choices, um, and obviously down to sustainability practices, um, whether it's, you know, reducing your single-use plastics or just being more conscientious of what you're purchasing from um, clothing stores that are uh, more eco-friendly. Fast or, fashion, yeah. Exactly, fast fashion. Like, there's, a, there's the smallest of things that we can take into consideration when we're living our everyday mm-hmm. lives that make that leave a lasting um, impression or a lasting effect. So um, for me, that's how I view it. I definitely don't have, like, an educational background in um, climate or environmental impacts or, you know, conservation or nature whatnot. But I think that's great to learn more about it. And someone like you, who, you know, you have your master's in it, and you do this um, as like, you're passionate about it. um, I love to learn more about it. And I think anyone who has an opportunity to learn about it should really just sit down and just listen to somebody talk about it and just not bypass it because it's super super important yeah i'm so glad that you mentioned that like it really doesn't you don't it doesn't need to be an expertise it really is for everybody whatever everybody is passionate about whether it be dance or painting or food everything that we're all passionate about is threatened by climate change and there is a way to tie it back in so it's so important for everyone to kind of get involved and just learn about it some more and Something you touched upon was uh, the mentality that, you know, perhaps it's not going to affect me yet or I'm Mm going to like it's not something I'll see in my lifetime. Um, Like climate change has impacted so many people across the world Mm -hmm. last year and the year before that. So it's a living reality every day for so many people. So even if it's hard for you to take action with like looking around and seeing that your life is still just as normal. What really triggered it for me is just knowing that people around the world are suffering consequences because of our actions that they had nothing to do with. And they also don't have the means to survive. And we just keep putting these pressures on them, whether it be, you know, more natural disasters throughout the Caribbean or deforestation impacts. 
Um, those are pressures that we're placing on people who are so much more vulnerable than we are. So exactly. if we are in a position to help, then why not? And I think that really speaks to everybody. Exactly. I think what's what it comes down to is reassessing our own privileges and our own lifestyle because just because we are we only know our life doesn't mean that we know the effects it has on um, marginalized communities for example you know the indigenous communities they rely on their environment um, uh, for everything they they connect to it in a very spiritual way they rely on their their uh, conservation or their um, their lands for just living a sustainable life. So, you know, I think if we were to be more inward of our actions and be more aware of those who, you know, experience it um, in a negative way or that affects them in ways that we may not may not be able to relate to, I think it's super important to acknowledge that. I would say, yeah, it comes down to compassion. Yes, <laughs> compassion. Just compassion. Exactly. <laughs> yes. We can all be more compassionate, not just to people, but to our earth, our climate, our environments, our nature, our animals, everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was a lot. We really unpacked a hell of a lot, and I'm very, very happy that we did. I've been meaning to talk about climate action and climate issues for, like, since the beginning of this podcast, because that's when I really started to take it more serious and I really wanted to be more involved. And so meeting you was a privilege to, to me because you have so much knowledge to unpack and to, to speak on. And I'm very, very happy that you took the time to speak with me today. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that, you know, just our council itself has inspired you in some way. And that's exactly why we've made it. We know that there are amazing people out there like you who are living in Peel region and just don't have that platform to take it one step further. And so we we're so happy that you're a part of this platform and we know that you're going to take it somewhere amazing. And it's so great to have you a part of our journey. And thank you so much for allowing me to be on the channel. And I hope that people who are listening are inspired in some way for as well. Thank you for that. So we talked about a lot today. We talked about Miranda's journey in environmentalism, specifically her role as an environmental educator at TRCA, um, as well as her master's program in environmental studies. Also got to talk about the process and the journey of her co-founding the Peel Climate Council, which is super amazing and I'm very, very happy to be a part of. Talked about a lot of things that I never expected to learn, which is about the different type of ants there are and, <laughs> and the impact of nature conservation especially the correlation between social media and the climate or the conservation areas which is very insightful and I'm glad you mentioned that now I have something to talk about at dinner um, I'm but, glad. <laughs> and we got to unpack a lot about climate action and climate issues and also the significance of connecting with your own communities and making a difference and creating climate literacy and climate action within our own communities well I'm talking a lot here and I think this is the ending of our uh, episode how did you feel about this episode Miranda did you enjoy it this was amazing it's kind of nice to just say what you've done out loud and reflect on it I don't think everyone has that opportunity so you know what I am urging everyone listening to this to just say out loud what you've done in the past like three years and just own what you've done it's kind of nice to look back on the impact that you've created well, so thank you so much <laughs> Well, you know what? You're welcome. This was a free therapy counseling session for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. It's amazing the work you've done. You should be proud of yourself. So thank you for everything that you've done for our climate. I think individuals like yourself should definitely be more 
put on a put on the forefront because it's super important at the end of the day. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for listening and tuning in into this episode of Caffeine Out with myself, Ida Maharaj.